Ed Gorman's writing is strong, fast, and sleek as a bullet. He's one of the best. Dean Koontz Ed Gorman was a writer's writer, a master. During the 1980s and 1990s, he published dozens of stylish and acclaimed suspense novels. In this podcast, we celebrate the life and work of a master craftsman. The Dark Fantastic Network presents Ed Gorman, a master of suspense. Part 1. The Life and Work of Ed Gorman Ed Gorman was born Edward Joseph Gorman Jr. on November 2, 1941, and grew up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where he spent much of his adult life as well. He lived for extended periods in Des Moines, Iowa, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Chicago, Illinois. He started his career writing advertising copy, and later in public relations, and as a speechwriter. In his mid-forties, his first novel, a book called Rough Cut, was published, introducing a Midwestern private investigator, named Jack Dwyer. In a 2007 interview, Gorman had this to say about how he broke into the publishing industry. I wrote a lot of stuff for men's magazines in the 60s and 70s. I could never come close to finishing a novel until I met Max Allen Collins who gave me two great pieces of advice. Look at each chapter as a story and never look back until you've finished the book, then worry about revisions. I finished Rough Cut, and shopped it around, I sent it to St. Martin's Press where it was fished out of slush and bought. This was 1983. He went on to write five more Dwyer books, as well as series featuring Sam McCain, a small-town investigating attorney in 1950s Iowa, and political consultant-slash-troubleshooter, Dev Conrad. Gorman always considered himself a genre writer. An editor once suggested he work on a mainstream novel, but Gorman gave up after six months, saying, I was bored out of my mind. I am a genre writer. With author Robert Randisi, he founded the highly acclaimed, Mystery Scene magazine, first published in 1985, which covers the crime and mystery genres, with a mix of articles, profiles, criticism, and extensive reviews. He wrote dozens of novels, including Black River Falls, Cage of Night, Cold Blue Midnight, The Poker Club, The Jack Dwyer series, and The Robert Payne series. Gorman wrote in minimalist, smooth prose, and most of his books were divided into short, punchy chapters. One of his best, and one of Gorman's favorites of his own books, is Cage of Night, a mesmerizing, haunting tale, about a young man returning from his sojourn in the military, to his small hometown, only to get entangled with a seductive young woman, who may or may not be insane. It is a brilliantly crafted tale of suspense, with a dash of psychological horror to spice things up. One of his most ardent fans, is best-selling author Dean Koontz, who called Gorman's writing, strong, fast, and sleek as a bullet. Koontz would continue to praise and promote Gorman's books for years to come. Gorman never had a huge hit like some of his contemporaries, Stephen King, Peter Straub, and Dean Koontz, but his stylish, infinitely readable novels are a treasure trove for the discerning reader of genre fiction. 
Part 2. The Mystery of Ed Gorman Best-selling author Richard Chismar, a close friend of Ed Gorman, reminisces about his friend's influence on his own work, his kindness, and why Gorman never broke into the mainstream. You know, my two biggest influences are, are Stephen King and Ed Gorman. And uh, Stephen King, I read from a very early age, um, you know, Salem's Lot and went on from there. And and he absolutely, without Stephen King, I would I would not have started Cemetery Dance. I would have not have started writing in the uh, in, in the, the horror suspense, you know, crime thriller genres. Um, there's just no question of that. I, you know, I, I like to tell people I grew up with a Stephen King paperback in my back pocket, pretty much. And, and it's, and it's accurate. Um, but as a writer, uh, in my twenties, particularly the, you know, my early twenties, um, when I was just starting to sell stories and send them out, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to reinvent the wheel. I was trying to write plot heavy stories that were twisty and, and, you know, uh, super original. And like I said, I was trying to reinvent that wheel instead of just telling good, honest stories. And, and despite the fact that some of those stories sold, um, along with plenty of rejections, um, you know, they're not, they're not very good stories. And I look back at those and I think, well, it, it, it's really simple. It's a, it's a really easy task to, to pinpoint why. And it's just because they weren't honest. You know, I, I wasn't writing as myself. I was trying to write to sell. And, and I also discovered, you know, fairly early, you know, I'm, I'm not a real elaborate plotter. I'm just a storyteller. Um, and I do rely on that voice of mine. Um, and, and, but at some point in there, I discovered Ed Gorman and I started reading particularly his crime fiction and, uh, you know, and, 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 and a lot of his short fiction. Um, and, and what, what Ed taught me without trying to teach me was just that if, if you, if you wrote about things that were important to you, no matter how small they may seem in your own world, um, but you wrote about them honestly and, and with integrity and with heart. Um, and, and this might not work for all people, but it worked for me. And, and what I, what I found was that some of his stories weren't about a whole lot. You know, they were about a, a, a retired hitman sitting on a bench in front of a bus stop who has a conversation with a single mom who he, you know, finds out is on the run, you know, from her own trouble in her past. And, you know, a, an eight or nine page story like that with just sharp dialogue that, that poked you in the heart without kind of being really overly sentimental, but uh, just, just honesty and, 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 and warmth and heart um, mixed with the darkness. But once I saw Ed and how he, he was able to accomplish what he was with particularly his short stories, but also his novels, I, I just, it gave me the confidence to try to just be honest and, and write about what mattered to me. And once that happened, that's when I started to find my voice. And that's when readers actually started responding to the stories. Um, so I always, I, it's always a really easy thing for me to look back and say, Ed taught me that. Ed taught me you can be plain spoken. You can just be a pure storyteller. Um, but as long as you're being honest and, and putting a little bit of heart and soul in there, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to connect with some people. And uh, I, you know, I, I thanked him profusely over and over again. And typical Ed Gorman, he always kind of just shrugged it off and said, Rich, you know, you knew what you were doing from day one. And I point at those early stories and I say, no, sir, I did not. 
he, he changed everything for me. He's the very first person who hired me, you know, to, and paid me professionally. Uh, I wrote a column for Mystery Scene, and he was one of the first columnists I hired for Cemetery Dance. He was the first hardcover book we published, Prisoners and Other Stories by Ed Gorman, with an afterword by Dean Koontz. You know, I always just say, Ed, Ed and, and I, he may have used this analogy for himself, but he was always kind of like the, you know, some writers, you picture them behind fancy desks, dress nicely, you know, tapping away at, at, at the latest, you know, work in progress. And Ed was always kind of like a hard hat carrying his lunch pail into the office kind of a writer. And he was a writer's writer. If, if Ed could have. So if he had that one big hit and they would have narrowed him down to, all right, Ed, we just want you to write one or two books a year. Yeah. But that, that didn't happen. And that's through no fault of his own. I mean, back then they were you know, the mystery and crime houses were churning out, you know, every imprint was churning out multiple titles per month. So they needed those books to fill those. And, and Ed was a quick writer and just extremely well-read and knowledgeable. So he, he had, uh, he had the capability to write in all those genres. And, and honestly, I think Ed had fun most of the time, you know, on a personal level, Ed could be the most, you know, friendly, hopeful guy. I mean, to me, he was just a sweetheart and a teddy bear, but it's funny because he poked fun at himself for being the doom and gloom guy. Um, and, and that, and that extended to, you know, the publishing world. Um, and it, you know, he certainly had his disappointments where he, you know, was promised certain things with certain books and they didn't come through. Um, you know, you tell the reader just, you know, Ed, Ed was, was in that camp of, of writers who believe you tell the reader just enough to kind of let their imagination move them along from scene to scene. And, um, but particularly, I think the readability came from him finding that, that rhythm with the prose. Um, cause he would tell you the same thing I say about my own work. And that is, you know, no one's going to accuse either one of us of being a, a really elaborate, flowery, sophisticated, uh, prose stylist. Um, you know, we, uh, we just, that's not the way we tell our stories, um, I don't remember whether it, I think it might've been Joe Lansdale who said, you know, some writers, they just kind of stack words up like, uh, you know, crickets on the sidewalk and, and like dead crickets on the sidewalk. And, and there's no life to them. There's no, uh, there's no rhythm. There's no life. There's no, you know, music to them. And then other writers understand that, you know, words play off each other and they have a, 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 a symphony all of their own. And, and, and it's you, you don't need to be a flowery, sophisticated writer to find that rhythm. But once you do, I think that's what pulls the reader along. And someone like Ed, I just he uh, again, and I'm not sure I'm getting to a, a clear enough description of it, but he he stayed out of the way of his stories and he just let the images tell, you know, move the reader along. And he painted those images with with really minimalist strokes. And uh, his, his, his stories just always sang, you know, they, they always had that, that uh, rhythm in them. Ed was very knowledgeable. Ed was very smart. Um, like I said, very humble. Um, he, uh, you know, he had a, a, a you know, and, and, and I didn't talk to him too much about his background, but, but, you know, we shared some stories and, and I know he, you know, he, he grew up in a, in a, you know, as a tough guy, you know, Ed, Ed was definitely when he talked about the guys who, who got in fistfights and got in trouble that, you know, that was definitely Ed. And I know, um, you know, there were, there were drinking issues in the past, which he was very public about and, and that he had, you know, been able to, to overcome, 
Um, he spoke often and so warmly of Carol, of his wife, who, who you know, played a big part in, in, uh, in helping him to become a better person and, and, and have a better life. Um, just, uh, you know, so yeah, there, but, but just the most loyal, funniest, um, kindest man, you know, that I've ever could have hoped for, for a mentor. Uh, you know, we talked politics from time to time, um, but he was old school, you know, which was, you know, you'd rather not really talk about that. Uh, he, uh, you know, I, I, I wish, and you know, the best part, I almost feel like when I want to visit with Ed again, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to read his story notes, you know, from his collections where he would put a, a note about each story or a little introduction or an afterward. That's kind of where you got the flavor of, of knowing that side of it. Like I said, I know he worked in advertising. He did some newspaper work. Um, I believe that's probably where, you know, some of the politics, you know, interest came from. But he was also, he, he you know, he he came from a different world than me. And he he would talk to me about, you know, not only, you know, straight politics out in the, you know, government, but the politics that were involved in advertising, the politics that were involved in, you know, the car industry and, and, and different, you know, uh, businesses. And uh, he was, yeah, he was very interested in that. And I know as a younger man, he had a lot, he had a, a, a variety of, uh, of experiences, you know, in different fields. So I'm sure that's where that came from, but no, we, ne- we never got into any lengthy in-depth talks about our politics or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I had cancer, when I was 29 and it came back when I was 30, Ed was always on the phone talking to myself. He got to know my wife, Kara, very well. Um, you know, was always there. And then, and, you know, later on in his life, when he, when he had cancer, you know, I, I tried to be there for him and, and a lot of phone calls. He's we never met. That's the interesting thing is, is he's probably the best friend I've ever had that I've never met in person. And he, he, we were similar in that way too. We didn't. Uh, and, and I know Dean in, in, a, in an essay wrote about that, about how he went out and visited Ed because Ed never went anywhere. Um, he was not someone to go to conventions. He was a big, he was a big, uh, um, you know, phone conversationalist. Um, if you got on the phone with Ed, you were not gonna, it was not going to be a quick 10 minute call. And, and that was wonderful. Um, and then once, you know, emails came about, that was what we, what we always laughed. We were like, can you believe Rich Chismore and Ed Gorman are having an email exchange? Cause in that regard, we were kind of dinosaurs and, but I didn't get out much. He didn't get out much. So we never had the pleasure of meeting in person. Mine is the last generation that really grew up on Westerns. I saw them in the theaters and on television and I read them in comic books and paperbacks. Writing them came naturally. I owe Bob Randisi a lot for first getting me published as a writer. Ed Gorman Best-selling author Robert Randisi, who co-founded Mystery Scene magazine with Ed Gorman, talks about his late friend, and how he managed to finally meet him shortly before Gorman's passing in 2016. Uh, I met Ed over the phone at a, at a BoucherCon. I was in a hotel room party and Max Collins was talking to him on the phone and put me on the phone with Ed. And uh, we sort of clicked. So from that point on, we spoke on the phone quite often. And one night we were talking about how we both read these science fiction um, publications uh, like Science Fiction Chronicle and some other ones. And, and one of us said, somebody should do one of these for the mystery field. And the other one said, okay, let's do it. 
So we decided to do it. And that was Mystery Scene. Yeah, I appeared in a bunch of his anthologies. He appeared in a bunch of my anthologies. Um, and we did all of this uh, without meeting in person. Uh, and then several years later, we were going to do a book together for a publisher called TSR that was up in Wisconsin. So we both flew there to, to meet with the publisher, and that was the first uh, first time we met. Uh, and uh, at that point, we had already been doing mystery scene together for a few years and had already appeared in each other's anthologies. But he liked my work, and I liked his work, and, and that's basically why we decided to work together. Uh, Ed didn't like to travel. Um, for a long time, he had his own advertising business, and I don't think he had uh, good relationships with people through that business, and it sort of put him off meeting people, I think. But he seemed to be able to connect with people over the phone and, uh, and through letters and later on through emails. And so he preferred to work that way rather than meet people uh, in person. He was very well read and he wanted to, to work in so many different genres. He didn't like to be um, buttonholed, you know, in one genre. And, um, and he didn't suffer fools lightly. Uh, it had a little bit of a temper on him. And, uh, but as the years went by, he mellowed a bit. Uh, and uh, he he knew who he liked and he knew who he didn't like. So he worked with the people that he liked. It it, it may have been because he worked in so many different genres uh, that, that no publisher, no one publisher was willing to get behind him and push him uh, because he wouldn't do one thing. Uh, publishers usually like you to be buttonholed. They want you to be a mystery writer. They want you to be a horror writer. You know, they want you to be a literary writer and they'll get behind you and push you. Um, but when you don't let them put you in a box, they don't really want to get behind you. And Ed never was willing to do that. Uh, and he he did a lot of research into what makes a bestseller. But, you know, he'd write one. He'd write one one suspense novel that he thought might might be good enough to be a bestseller. And then he'd go off and write something else. So I don't think he was ever able to find one publisher who was willing to get behind him and support him no matter what he wanted to write. That, that was New York publishing. You know, they wanted to buttonhole you and, and, and then they'd get behind you and push you. Ed was a difficult man to know. He was very private and he didn't open up uh, to people a lot. Uh, and for some reason, um, he seemed to like to spend hours with me on the phone. Uh, and I think he did the same with uh, Max Collins and the same with Dean, Dean Kuntz. Um, he really, really enjoyed uh, the people that he liked. He enjoyed talking to on the phone, but he wouldn't go out of his way to travel uh, to meet people somewhere. You know, so they so they they might be surprised to, to know what a what a telephone person he was. Uh, you know, I lived for uh, 12 years in St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, what we would do is on occasion, we would drive up to the Amanas and we would meet Max Collins and his wife. And we'd meet Ed Gorman and his wife there and have dinner in a restaurant. Uh, so later in life, uh, I started to meet with Ed every couple of months up there in the Amanas. And, um, and it was during the time that he was fighting the, uh, the cancer, you know, so I got to spend some time with him later on, uh, you know, uh, a little bit before he died. 
From second or third grade on, that's the only thing I've ever wanted to be. Jack London hooked me, and then Ray Bradbury, and then I began writing my own little stories. I've worked in advertising, written and produced TV campaigns for politicians, but I never lost sight of my goal. So for the last almost 30 years, I've been writing fiction full-time, and have been lucky indeed. Ed Gorman Written and produced by Ahmed Khalifa, for the Dark Fantastic Network. Copyright, 2022, The Dark Fantastic Network.